Hello, and thank you for listening to Art History at Bedtime. My name is Bendor Grosvenor. In this episode, we'll hear three letters written by Michelangelo in 1542. The first is a petition to Pope Paul III. The second is to his friend Luigi del Riccio, and the third is to an unknown cardinal. They concern one of the most vexed periods of Michelangelo's career, when he was fighting to complete two papal commissions, the first from Pope Julius II, who, though long dead, had first asked Michelangelo to construct a tomb for him in 1505, and the second from Pope Paul III, who insisted the artist fresco his new Pauline chapel at the Vatican instead. The letters show a frustrated and highly sensitive artist, seemingly overwhelmed with the demands of competing popes. The final letter, Michelangelo's longest, and which contains what must be the longest postscript in art history, ends with a stinging attack on Raphael. Rome, July 20th, 1542, Petition to Pope Paul III Whereas Messer Michelangelo Bonarotti undertook some time ago to make the tomb of Pope Julius II in San Piero in Vincula under certain conditions and agreements duly set forth in a contract under date of April 18, 1532, and whereas, by reason of his being subsequently called upon and compelled by His Holiness our Lord Pope Paul III to work upon and paint his own chapel, he is unable to continue with the task of finishing the tomb as well as the said painting in the chapel. Through the mediation of His Holiness, a new covenant has therefore been made with the most illustrious Lord Duke of Urbino, to whom has fallen the charge of the said tomb, as may be seen from a letter of his bearing date the 6th day of March, 1542. In this letter it was agreed that, of six statues which are to form part of the said tomb, the before-mentioned Messer Michelangelo should be at liberty to entrust three to a good and renowned master who should carve them, and set them in their places, and the other three, among them being the statue of Moses, he agreed to furnish complete with his own hand. And as the aforesaid Messer Michelangelo is now once more requested and urged by His Holiness, our Lord Pope Paul III, to work upon and finish his chapel, as herein before rehearsed, and as the said work is a great one, calling for the undivided attention of some person free from all other obligations, and as, moreover, the said Messer Michelangelo is old and desirous of serving His Holiness to the utmost of his abilities, being as well required and compelled to fulfil the same, which he cannot do unless he is first set free from all obligations with respect to this tomb of Julius, which daily involves him in bodily and mental vexations, the said Michelangelo now makes supplication to his holiness, seeing that he is resolved that he shall enter his service, to arrange with the most illustrious Lord Duke of Urbino, so that he may be set entirely free from the said tomb and that all contracts between them may be annulled and set aside. Michelangelo to Messer Luigi del Riccio, Rome, October 1542 Messer Luigi, dear friend, Messer Pierre Giovanni has been persistently urging me to begin the painting. It may readily be seen, however, that this is impossible for the next four or six days, as the plaster is not yet sufficiently dry for me to begin operations. But there is another thing that vexes me far more than the plaster, something that prevents me from living, to say nothing of painting. 
I mean the delay in drawing up the ratification, setting aside the contracts. I feel that I've been cheated, and as a result I'm in a state of desperation. I've wrung from my heart fourteen hundred crowns, which would have enabled me to work for seven years, during which I could have made two tombs, let alone one, and I only did it so that I might obtain peace and be free to serve the Pope with my whole heart. Now I find myself deprived of the money and face to face with more troubles and anxieties than ever. I did what I did about the money because the Duke agreed to it, and in order to get the ratification drawn up. Now that I have paid the money, I cannot obtain the ratification, so that it is easy to guess what all this means without my having to write it down. Enough. It is only what I deserve for having believed in other people for thirty years and for having placed myself freely at their service. Painting, sculptor, hard work, and too much faith have ruined me, and everything goes from bad to worse. How much better it would have been if, in my early days, I had been set to make matches, but then I shouldn't have all this anxiety. I write thus to Vostra Signoria, because, as one who wishes me well and who knows all about the matter, and therefore knows the truth, you can inform the Pope what is happening, and then he may perhaps understand that I cannot live, much less paint. I will not support this burden any longer, nor will I submit to be abused and called a swindler daily by those who have robbed me of life and honour. Only death or the Pope can save me now from my troubles. Yours, Michelangelo Bonarotti. Michelangelo to an unknown cardinal, October 1542. Monsignore, your lordship has sent to me, saying I am to begin painting and to have no fear. My answer is that a man paints with his brains and not with his hands, and if he cannot have his brains clear, he will come to grief. Therefore, I shall be able to do nothing well until justice has been done me. The ratification of the last contract is not forthcoming, and under the terms of the other, which was drawn up in Pope Clement's presence, I am daily pilloried as though I had crucified the Christ. I maintain that I did not know the said contract was read over to Pope Clement in the same form as the copy I afterwards received, the reason being that Clement sent me to Florence that very day, and the ambassador, Gian Maria de Madonna, went to the notary and had the scope of the contract extended to suit his own ends. When I came back and went to see the deed, I found that it authorised the demanding of a thousand ducats more than it had done before. I found that it swallowed up the house I live in, with many other barbed shafts, all meant to goad me to my ruin. Clement would never have countenanced this. But to return to the painting, there is nothing I can deny to Pope Paul, but I shall paint discontentedly, and all that I paint will bear the mask of discontent. I have written thus to your lordship, so that when occasion arises you will be able to tell the Pope the truth. Also, I should very much like the Pope to know all about it, so that I may find out what is the strength of the forces ranged against me in this conflict. He that can understand, let him understand. Your Lordship's servant, Michelangelo. P.S. There is another thing I wish to say, and it is that the ambassador declares I have used the Pope's money for money-lending purposes, 
and that I have grown rich on the proceeds, as though I had actually received the eight thousand ducats from the Pope. The money mentioned as having been received by me refers to the amount spent up to that time on the tomb, which, as may be seen, would come to about the same sum as that mentioned in the contract made in the time of Clement. For in the first year of Julius's pontificate, when he gave me the contract for making the tomb, I spent eight months at Carrara quarrying the blocks which I subsequently transported to the Piazza di San Pietro, where I had a workshop behind the church of Santa Caterina. Afterwards, Pope Julius did not want to proceed with the tomb during his own life, and set me to paint. Then he kept me at Bologna for two years, working on the bronze pope, which was later destroyed. Then I went to Rome, and remained in his service till he died, keeping open house all the time, without friends and without salary, living upon the money for the tomb, as I had no other source of income. Then came Pope Leo, who, not wishing me to make the tomb, pretended that he was going to build the façade of San Lorenzo in Florence. He begged me of Agenensis, who was compelled to set me at liberty, but stipulated that I was still to go on with the tomb of Julius while in Florence. Then, while I was in Florence occupying myself with the façade of San Lorenzo, I found I had not sufficient marble for the tomb of Julius in Florence. So I went back to Carrara for thirteen months, brought back all the necessary blocks to Florence, built a workshop, and set to work. About that time, Agenensis sent Messer Francesco Pallavicini, a now Bishop of Valeria, to hurry me up. He inspected my workshop and saw all the marble and the figures which were blocked out for the said tomb, as they are still to be seen today. When this became known, that is, when it became known that I was working on the tomb, the Medici, who was then in Florence, he afterwards became Pope Clement, forbade me to go on with it, and matters remained in that state until Medici became Clement. Then the last contract but one was made, in his presence. The contract in which it is alleged that I have received the eight thousand ducats I am supposed to have laid out at usury. I have a fault to confess to your lordship, for when I stayed those thirteen months at Carrara, in connection with the tomb, I ran short of money, and spent on this work, a thousand ducats of the money Pope Leo had given me for the façade of San Lorenzo, or rather he gave it to me to keep me occupied. Then I wrote to him saying how difficult my work was. I did so because I was so enthusiastic over what I had in hand, but I have had my reward in being called a thief and a moneylender by people who must be the most ignorant in the world. For according to what Messer Pier Giovanni writes, you have been told lies about me to such an extent that he was obliged to speak in my favour. Another reason is that when your lordship finds an occasion for it, you will be able to put in a good word for me, for what I am saying is the truth. In my dealings with my fellow men, I'll not say with God, I consider myself to be an honest man, for I never deceived anyone, although one must sometimes go nearly mad, as you must realise, in protecting oneself against the attacks of spiteful persons. I beg your lordship to read this history when you have time, and to keep it for my sake, remembering that there are witnesses available to prove practically all I have said. I should also be very glad if the Pope could see it, nay, I would like all the world to see it, because what I have written is the truth. I have scarcely done justice to my case. I am not a thieving moneylender, but a citizen of Florence, born of noble stock, 
and the son of an honest man. To proceed with the story of the tomb, I repeat that he subsequently changed his mind about having made it during his own life, as he had originally intended. And when sundry barge loads of marble, which had been ordered from Carrara some time before, arrived at Ripper, I could not get any money from the Pope, because he decided not to go on with the work. I had to pay the freightage, between a hundred and two hundred ducats, with money borrowed from Baldassare Balducci, from Messer Jacopo Gallo's bank, that is, for the purpose of discharging the said account. Then a number of masons whom I had engaged in Florence to work on the tomb arrived in Rome, some of whom were still living, and as I had already furnished the house Julius gave me at the rear of Santa Caterina with beds and other household necessities for the masons and for the other work connected with the tomb, I found myself in dire straits for lack of money. I urged the Pope to allow the work to proceed as far as possible, and one morning when I went to discuss the matter with him, he caused me to be turned out by one of his postilions. The Bishop of Luca, who witnessed the act, said to the postilion, Do you not know who that is? To which the postilion replied, Pardon me, sir, but I have been ordered to act as I am doing. I went home and wrote to the Pope as follows. Most Holy Father, this morning I was driven from the palace by your holiness's orders. I give you to understand that from henceforth, if you desire my services, you must seek them elsewhere than in Rome. I sent this letter to Messere Agostino, the seneschal, who was to give it to the Pope. And then I sent for a certain joiner named Cosimo to come to me, a man who used to work for me and look after the house, as well as for a stonemason who is still living, and who was also in my service at the time. To these men I said, Sell all the house contents, and follow me to Florence. I went out and took the post, departing in the direction of Florence. As soon as the Pope received my letter, he sent five horsemen after me, who came up with me at Poggibonsi about the third hour of the night, and presented a letter to me from the Pope of the following tenor. Immediately on receipt of this present, thou must return to Rome on pain of our displeasure. The horsemen desired me to send a reply in order to show that they had delivered the letter. So I said that as soon as the Pope would carry out his obligations towards me, I would return. Otherwise he need never expect to see me again. And afterwards, while I was living in Florence, Julius sent three briefs to the Signoria concerning me. At last the Signoria sent for me and said, We cannot go to war with Pope Julius on thine account. Thou must go back. If thou wilt return to him, we will give thee a letter making it clear that any injury done to thee will be treated as an injury done to us. In order to please them, I went back to the Pope, and it would take a long time to narrate all that happened afterwards. Let it suffice that I lost more than a thousand ducats over it, for directly I had left Rome there was a great disturbance, be it said to the Pope's shame. Nearly all the marble I had collected in the Piazza di San Pietro was stolen, especially the small pieces, and I had to replace them subsequently. In short, I maintain and affirm that in respect of damages and interest, I am entitled to receive five thousand ducats from the heirs of Julius. Yet the very people who robbed me of my youth for years, my honour, and my possessions, now call me the thief. And at the end of it all, as I have said already, the ambassador from Urbino sends word that I am to purge my conscience, and then the Duke will send the ratification. 
He didn't speak like that before he made me deposit the fourteen hundred ducats. If there is any inaccuracy in all that I have written, it is only in the matter of dates. Everything else is the truth. It is even more true than I have written it. I entreat your lordship, for the love of God and of truth, to read these paragraphs when you have time, so that when the occasion arises you will be able to defend me against those who speak evil of me before the Pope, without knowing anything about the matter, and who have given the Duke of Urbino to understand that I am a great scoundrel by their representations. All the disagreements that arose between Pope Julius and myself were due to the jealousy of Bramante and of Raffaello d'Albino. It was because of them that he did not proceed with the tomb during his own life, and they brought this about in order that I might thereby be ruined. Yet Raffaello was quite right to be jealous of me. For all he knew of art, he learnt from me. If you have enjoyed these podcasts, please consider making a donation to Art History Linkup, the charity which teaches the history of art to state school children in the UK. Art History Linkup is continuing its classes online during the pandemic, but would benefit from all our help. Donation details can be found on their website, arthistorylinkup.org. Thank you.